beginning here with verse 19. This is Jesus speaking, and it says, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. May God add his blessing to his word. You could be seated. It's been a long week. I, in fact, uh, busy week with a lot of things going on with board meetings and whatnot that have kept me from the office and I ended up writing actually two different versions of this message because the, the deeper I got into the one message I realized my first attempt was really not not where Jesus intended for this story to go in other words I feel like I, I was ending somewhere where, where my message was not really in context because I realized as I looked at the larger portion of this chapter, when Jesus tells this story, there are things happening around it that truly give an indication of what he truly wants to convey. Before the passage we just read, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. You'll choose, you'll love one or the other. No one can serve both God and money because money will try to master you. And then we read this. The, the Pharisees, who we are told love money, now they're the religious leaders, they're supposed to love God, but they love money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. Literally, the phrase is, they turned up their noses at him. But Jesus is not easily intimidated, as I suspect, as you follow him, you find out. So he tells this story. Jesus says, there was a rich man who dressed himself in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. Now, of course, Jesus is that master storyteller and he does not waste details. A rich man dressed in purple every day. Why is this guy dressed in purple every day? Well, in the ancient world, purple was the most expensive kind of fabric you could have. 
Only the wealthy could possibly afford it. And so the idea Jesus is conveying here is he wanted to, this man, he, he wanted to make sure that everybody knew he had money. So every day he would go to the closet, ah, I think I'll wear purple today. And he liked the satisfaction of having others know that he'd made it. He was successful. Now, to be honest with you, Jesus loses, uses a little humor here. He also says he wears fine linen. Now, fine linen refers to the high-quality Egyptian cotton that was used for undergarments under the purple, so that was, no one else could see what was going on there. And so Jesus is basically saying he's even got expensive underwear, too just in case there's an accident, right? You know, you remember your mom saying? Uh... By the way, this doesn't mean it's wrong necessarily to love fashion or beauty. Some people have a gift and an eye for that, I'm sure. I don't particularly have an eye for that. But if you do, I don't think you have to feel guilty about that. We're not going to be judgmental or legalistic here. But what we are going to do this morning is ask Jesus, what are we supposed to do when it comes to what we have, to our wealth, to our money and our things, we're going to listen to him. Now, this man lives in luxury. He has a spa, and I don't know all that he has. He's got the, the summer cottage and a space of, of beauty, a garden, a pool, you name it. He's got it all. Meanwhile, the contrast, at the gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Now, I want to stop right there, of course, because I want you to just think, can anybody in this room name any other character in any other parable that Jesus told? Anybody think of a proper name from a parable that Jesus told? Pastor Rich will give you $100 right now if you can come up with a name. The reality is you can't. This is the only parable where Jesus actually names a character in the parable. So this homeless, diseased, penniless beggar, we know his name. Jesus knows his name. The rich man... You would expect to know him, but he's unknown. Jesus is telling us something there, isn't he? Lazarus, it's actually a Hebrew word that means the one God helps. That's irony. Uh, he, he doesn't look like the one God helps. The rich guy, he looks like the one God helps. Lazarus is the one that, God forgot, right? And so every day, Lazarus lies at this rich man's gate. Every day, the rich man feasts and frolics. Lazarus will see the guests come in, hears the party, smells the food, aches and longs to be fed just from the scraps of this rich man's table. This means that, that, that he just wanted the food that would get thrown out. It means he would love to eat the garbage, Jesus is telling us. I don't think I have to connect the dots here because the reality is we live in a world where 2.6 billion people, it's 
maybe larger, but at least 2.6 billion people live on about $2.50 or less a day. Those are people that God loves. Imagine what that would be like. So the question, of course, as we sit here this morning is, who's rich in this room? We better all listen pretty carefully. Every day, the rich man would come out of his house and he would walk past Lazarus and he'd keep right on going. He saw, he knew, and he did nothing. Now, what was he thinking? Well, I think maybe he thought, you know what? I deserve my wealth. I earned it from my intelligence and my hard work. If there is somebody out there who has less than I do, they just didn't work as hard like I did, right? Why, why should I give up my stuff? Why should I give my stuff away? Maybe he had been pestered by beggars. Maybe he had had a situation where things didn't go well. A lot of that happens. Maybe he just got tired of all the need and all the hurt and he stopped looking and stopped noticing. But I'll tell you what he didn't think. He didn't think, God, what are you doing in the world and how can I be a part of it? He didn't think, God, what do you see when you look at Lazarus? He, he didn't ask, God, what am I supposed to do with what you've given me? Apparently, that question never entered his mind. But let's look at Lazarus for a moment. The text says, as his gate was laid a beggar. So, so one of the things we must surmise here is that Lazarus had some friends who must have brought him there. Lazarus is so sick or disabled or crippled that he could not move himself. I think even in our day about the fact that a disability can be terribly traumatic. And in Jesus' day, with, with no insurance or anything of that sort, this kind of thing would have been fatal and yet this man is laid at the gate. Maybe today is the day these guys are thinking that, that the rich man in the big house will notice and will be moved in his heart, will do something to help. Maybe today. And then they would come and they would take Lazarus. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow. Jesus says, even the dogs come and licked his sores. Now, that sounds kind of gross, doesn't it? Why would Jesus put that in the story? Well, people in Israel, to be honest, were pretty unsentimental about dogs. Dogs were scavengers. They were regarded almost as unclean as pigs. If you look at the Bible, most mention of dogs is really quite negative. Nobody had a dog for a pet in the ancient world. But in the ancient world, they realized that dogs licking wounds was found to be beneficial and healing. They have what is called endogenous peptide antibodies in their saliva. In fact, certain dogs were actually trained to lick open wounds and sores, and a fee would be paid to the owners for their work. Now, I, I want you to know, I think this question might come up, and so I, so I thought I'd deal with it directly, but 
this is what uh, Jesus says. Why, why does he tell us about dogs helping and healing here? Why does he not have cats in the story? Because Jesus didn't like cats, right? Pretty evident. That's just the truth. We might as well get it out there. I don't want to hear whining after the, the service this morning. This is Bible teaching. You've got it right here. Just the way it is. But there is this rich man. He has all that he needs and more. And Lazarus is struggling at the gate. He longs to eat the garbage. He is having his sores licked by the dogs. And one day the rich man comes out of his house and Lazarus is gone. You wonder, did he notice? There, there's a reality we know he doesn't see. Jesus says the poor man dies and was carried by angels to Abraham's side or, or bosom. I, I love the old translation. This is a picture of a feast in heaven. You, you remember in, in ancient times, they didn't have chairs around a table like so often we imagine. No, you reclined at the table. You, you literally laid down on, and on your, your, your elbow. And so the host of the party would recline. And in this case, it would have been Father Abraham, the, 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 the father of Israel. And the guest of honor would lie down right next to the host. And here we almost have this picture then of, of the head of Lazarus right against Abraham reclining there. The picture is that Lazarus is the guest of honor seated at the, the right side, the, the bosom of Abraham. The rich man also died and he was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. And I, I want to just pause here to be what I think I hope is clear. This is not a teaching about the afterlife where people in hell will get a split screen, real-time view of what's going on in heaven. Or, or there will be some kind of long-distance conversations between people in hell and people in heaven. There'll be an app on a phone or something. It won't happen like that. But there is a long tradition in the Middle East of what sometimes we might call pearly gate stories about the afterlife. Now, if you think about it, we have these stories too, don't we? In, in, in the Middle East, they, they often referred to Abraham because Abraham was the father of Israel, the, 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 the leader of faith. And for them, they, they thought in terms of a great feast. For us, we have not so much Abraham, I guess, in our thinking and, and cartoons and whatnot, but we have who? Peter, St. Peter at the pearly gates with clouds and harps and the like. We have these stories too. One of them I just read this week three men die go up to the pearly gates they're met by saint peter one of them is a doctor one of them is a teacher and one of them is the head of an hmo did you hear this story peter says to the guy who's the doctor what what did you do on earth he said well i healed the sick I, uh, when they had no money i didn't charge them a thing peter says all right you can go on in he says to the second guy, what did you do? I, I was a teacher. 
I help people. I help uh, under-resourced children uh, 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 learn how to read and write and succeed in their lives. All right, Peter says, you can go in. He says to the third guy, what did you do? And the man hung his head and he says, well, I ran a large HMO. Well, Peter looked at his books. He said, well, I, I can let you go in, but you can only stay three days. Okay. <laughs> I, don't like, I like that kind of a story. Kind of silly. You better laugh at my jokes here. I'm not going to tell them anymore, okay? So good job. Thank you. So Jesus... So Jesus is not saying that people in hell can, can see and talk to those in heaven. That's not what he's trying to indicate here. Now, I will be clear about this. He is saying that there is a judgment coming. There is a judgment coming, and it's for all of us. Jesus does want us to know that there is a heaven and there is hell and so we are talking eternal stakes and significance. Real human beings will end up there for eternity. Hell is not God's will for any human being. We know through the gospel that, that he made a way for us to, to, to enter heaven through the, through the mercy and grace of what Jesus Christ did on the cross and being raised on the third day. And even this morning, I want you to hear this. If you come into this place and you don't know him, then you can put your trust in Christ today and ask God to be your forgiver and know with certainty, I belong to him. I've been born again. I can trust him. Our goal as a church is always to help rich people, poor people, all people come to know Christ and live in that reality of being a part of his forever family. But, but this rich guy, he dies and we see this, this, this drama play out. It, it's an amazing and interesting uh, tension between him and Lazarus. In fact, in this story, the great crisis moment is coming. We know that there now is a party going on in heaven. The rich guy sees that there is a guest of honor, but to his surprise, it's not him. He thought it would be him. And Jesus' listeners are wondering, how is this rich guy going to react? Is he going to grovel now that he knows he's wasted his life? Is he going to apologize to Lazarus? Will he confess his greed and inhumanity? How's he going to react? Well, Jesus tells us, and I want you to notice what this rich guy does. He says, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Now, I suspect that Jesus' listeners, if you really think about it, are stunned by this. Because even after this great reversal, there is from this rich man no expression of remorse, no repentance, no grasping of what he has done, no begging of forgiveness from Lazarus or the Lord for that matter. See, it turns out he does 
Now, he, he does recognize Lazarus after all. Apparently, he knew his name. He had ignored him all these years, but he knew Lazarus was there. And the implication is, is even in hell, he does not speak or, or stoop to speak to somebody so far beneath him because when you're an important guy, you don't, you don't worry about those in that position. No, you go to the top. And so he goes and he speaks to Abraham. He's a rich guy. He's a well-known guy. So he goes to him, and not just to Abraham. Notice he says, Father Abraham. The idea is, is he is claiming his status as a family member in good standing as a loyal son of Israel. Notice, the rich man hasn't changed. Lazarus is, is still beneath him and should serve him. Did you, did you catch that? He says, Father Abraham, now that Lazarus is on his feet, he might as well be put to some good use. I'd like a little service around here. I'm acutely aware of this pain. I don't like it. Send your man around to fetch me some water. That's what's happening here. When Lazarus was in agony, the rich guy does nothing. Nothing. But now that he's in pain, he wants Lazarus to come and serve him. And he doesn't even pretend to be sorry. And, and, and this is so telling. Lazarus is not a real person to him. And this is one of the wicked parts about money that we have to guard ourselves against. When it becomes a God, it kind of destroys your perception of your neighbor. It destroys your capacity to see the needs and the humanity of other people. They become very abstract, and we build walls and distances. There was a gate, you remember. Now, maybe you expect Lazarus to step in and explode. Now you see my face. Now you know my name. All those years you did nothing for me, and now you expect me to leave heaven and go to hell to serve you? You must be out of your purple boxered mind. <laughs> but notice Lazarus doesn't say anything. But Abraham responds, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. Besides, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed. You talk about a wall, you talk about a gate, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot. Now, Abraham begins with son. You know, there are two words for son in the Greek. One of them is more distant and neutral. But Jesus uses the more tender one here. Remember, he's talking to a Pharisee, religious people who think they love God. They're supposed to be a part of the family, but they really love money more. My, my boy, my child, 
And this is what he says. Remember. Now, if you do a study of the prophets, you're going to see that when the prophets use the word remember, they're calling people to repent. Remember is a repent word. Remember? Remember. In your lifetime, you received good things. Again, Jesus is, is right on target here. He doesn't say, remember in your lifetime you earned good things. Remember in your lifetime you merited good things. Remember in your lifetime with all your hard work and your diligence that you were a self-made man and you made it all. No, what does Jesus say? He says, you received it. Who gave it? Came from God. You received it. I'll, I'll tell you the truth again about money. Money will try to convince me that I am more superior or more entitled to what I have than people who have less. I earned it. It's mine. The sinisterness of money, if it becomes a God, will try to make you less desperate for God. You don't need him. Money will try to make you forget in a real concrete, moment-by-moment -moment way that I'm a sinner saved by grace that I didn't deserve. And every gift I have, my body, my mind, my intellect, my education, my experience, all that stuff is just a gift from God. I didn't earn any of it. So the idea that somehow I have what's coming to me and just let the rest of the world deal with their own way, that's sin. It's, it's just sin. And we're blind to the truth. The rich man doesn't remember. He received it. The rich man doesn't repent. Did you notice he has one more errand for Lazarus to be sent on? He says, well, then let him go tell my brothers. If someone rises from the dead and goes to my brothers, and then they will listen. And you note, of course, Abraham says to him, if they did not listen to Moses and the prophets... They will not even be convinced if someone rises from the dead. Now, remember, Jesus is telling this story to Pharisees who loved money. They're not listening to Jesus. But Jesus, you think about it, those Pharisees saw many signs from Jesus. The most dramatic one, I suspect, was when the brother of Mary and Martha got sick and he died and was laid in a tomb, and on the fourth day, what happened? Lazarus, come forth. His name was Lazarus. Got up. Lazarus came back from the dead. Now, this is what's fascinating to me. Can't miss this. And boy, the Lord revealed it to me just, just Friday night in a hotel room. But in John 11, Jesus, in fact, raises this man, Lazarus, from the dead. And this is what John reports. 
Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. So, so they saw it, they know it, it's happened. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Lazarus has been raised from the dead. And then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here this man is performing many signs. So what are we going to do about this? Are we going to change? Are we going to acknowledge that he's really God? Are we going to, to, to repent of our sin? Are we going to stop loving money and loving ourselves? Are we going to love God and what he's doing among us? Well, verse 33 says, so from that day on, they plotted to take his life. These Pharisees, so rich, so smart, said, we got to get rid of him. The Apostle Paul wrote, in light of what Jesus has done, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain but to put their hope in God put him first listen to him trust him we're commanded the Bible says to do good be rich in good deeds be generous be willing to share in this way they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You want to live? You really want to live? Money will tell you that if you grab onto money, it will give you the life, the lifestyle of the rich and famous. And it won't. It won't, at least not for long. Only Jesus gives us that. But as you grab hold of Jesus, as you see the sign, as you recognize who he is and what he's done, then money becomes something of a tool and a resource, something to share. And then you find you don't get less life, you get more life when that happens. Are you living today? Jesus wants us to live. And he shows us the way. Let's not turn our noses up at him. Let's recognize him for he, who he is. He's the Lord and Savior. And we can follow him today. Will you pray with me? Father, I, I know it's time to close. And so, Lord, I just pray that you will seal this truth on our hearts because, Lord, we live in a time of amazing prosperity. And I know there are things going around and uncertainties and fears for sure. But, oh God, help us to remember what we have was given to us and help us to ask, why? Maybe there's a person we need to reach out to and help. 
maybe there's a community Lord that we make it, need to make a difference in Lord help us to love you more and may that demonstration be in the way that we love others extravagantly I pray this because of Jesus and all that he's done in your name.